It's the Gospel of Kennison. How you doing, folks? This is James Kennison, and this is the Gospel of Kennison. Uh, episode number 98, brought to you the week of April 11th, 2019. This is the personal audio journal of me, James Kennison. Thank you for joining me today. I've decided that I want to read some of the things that I have written about depression and just get it out in audio form. Um, this is a, this is an article that I wrote. Uh, all of these can be found at jameskennison.com. This is an article I wrote April 16th, 2000, 2013. Uh, it's called the worst question you can ask a depressed person. Uh, I've noticed that now that everyone knows what I'm dealing with and going through. Oh, and this was just after everybody found out I was depressed at church. I've noticed now that everyone knows what I'm dealing with and going through that they don't know how to act when they see me or my family. It's awkward and people don't know what to say. So I'm writing this to help you know how to interact. Don't ask, how are you doing or how are you feeling? The reason I feel worse than you can imagine. There are levels of pain and issues that come up as a result of that. You don't really want to know. And I don't really want to trap you with a long explanation. I don't even want to tell you the truth that I feel completely crappy. You can imagine how that would go. No, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you that I'm just fine. Right as rain, because I don't want to drag you down or be rude. And explaining how I'm doing would take a while. And you're not aware of the Pandora's box that you're trying to open. So I protect you from that with a fake smile and a quick lie. I'm fine. So please don't make me lie. I understand this is a natural thing to ask anyone, especially someone that's ailing. But with depression, it's the worst question you can ask. My wife doesn't even ask. Asking that puts my brain into a self-aware state. In an instant, I realize that I don't feel well. And I am going to disappoint the person asking with the truth. How awkward the situation is that my whole life, even my silly little human interactions, have been affected by this disease and that the future is more than likely going to be filled with more things like this. And pretty much my entire life and future is screwed. So yeah, it's a bad question to ask. Just say hello. Good to see you. Or please walk away. Your depression is getting on me. It doesn't require a response and it doesn't force me to lie to your face. Don't make a huge fuss, a.k.a. hugging or saying that you're praying for me. The reason? I want to be treated normal because normal gives me hope. Like this mess isn't going to ruin the rest of my life. If you hugged me before, you're allowed. And if you've been praying, though I do appreciate that, I don't want it broadcasted to the world. Why? Because I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of my depression. I was at that time. Just imagine if you had some problems with your butt. Butt problems. Would you want people hugging you because of it and saying they're praying for your butt? No. You would want them to act normal and not a draw attention to your issue, your butt issue. Again, it's natural for people, especially church people, to want to connect and express their concern. But though it makes you feel better having expressed it, it doesn't have the effect you would hope it would. Instead, instead, just shake my hand or high five would be cool. And instead of saying we're praying for you, you could say something like, we bought you a gift card for that place you like. It's much better than an awkward hug. Thank you. 
This is one called General Well-Being Update, written June 5th, 2013. Okay, so hi. I'll just jump right in. I'm doing loads better in the big picture. It's been up and down from day to day. Even within the same day, I can have several mood swings. I've always been thankful that I've never swung toward the anger spectrum of emotions. Sadness and not sadness has been the span. Chest pain is gone, replaced by chest pressure, but only during times of severe anxiety, which are rarer and rarer. Long sentence. I never know when or why I'll feel anxiety about whatever is going on or about to happen. Unless my mom calls. That's 100% anxiety for sure. Sleeping at night is pretty awesome. I've had problems sleeping at night for years. My mind just wouldn't shut down. Between some medication and a bedtime ritual, basically doing something until I can't stay awake and then passing out on the couch. I'm struggling with a lot of guilt as I am now able to think uh, about things more clearly as my mind and emotions clear. I'm now realizing how much my condition has affected my family and those around me. Every day there's a reminder, every single freaking day. From a child at daycare asking why I don't do chapel services to my daughter being approached by the school guidance counselor. My wife tells me there's no one to blame, and I understand that. But it all happened because of what happened to me. I'm the cause. It's just a rational fact. Probably sounds like a horrible thing to believe, and it may very well be. But it also keeps me driven to do the most I can when I can. It's an attempt to minimize the impact of my condition. I've been supplementing my meds with some fish oil, which I believe is actually devil poop, and vitamin D, which are cute, and they don't smell like little mer- a little mermaid died. I also take a new capsule, which is not a medicine or a supplement. It's called a medical food, and it's supposed to make me more susceptible, probably a better word, but I can't think of it, to the positive effects of what I'm taking. I've generally been more sensitive to the negative side effects, but this seems to be working. I've been enjoying things again, finding pleasure in activities, which, trust me, is something you really take for granted until it's gone. I've built some Star Wars Lego ships, and I've started blogging and reaching out on Twitter and Facebook slowly and cautiously. I don't trust how I feel enough just to jump back into things. And I don't trust anything about this. I've been tricked by my own body before. Felt like a million bucks one minute, huddled in the bed, freaking out the next. I'm hopeful, but skeptical. My biggest fear as of late has been that this is as good as it'll get. Just almost better. God is silent, but present. He seems cool with where I am at right now. My good friend David Gobout said the teacher doesn't talk during the test. You have to listen before. My answer, maybe if I cheat off someone's paper, I can get him talking again. Wink. We're in such a weird place right now. Jen and I have always made choices in our lives to honor God and with a sec- and with a security that comes from being in proper control of your life. Being both firstborns, we don't look to others to solve our problems. We look at all the available options, weigh and pray them to death, and then cautiously and slowly make a choice. And where we are with where we are now, everything is out of our hands. We can't make plans because the future is so unsure. Everything is in the air. And very little can be pinned down. So the area we put most of our effort in is with the kids, trying to keep their lives as normal and as unscathed as possible. Jenna said the other day, have you been to the doctor? I now realize that she thinks that when you go to the doctor, you get better every time. Not yet. Why? 
because I think you're getting better. You did Legos. You went to the beach with us. You got in the water and you were the shark. It's good to hear, but heartbreaking. How many things am I not doing for them? A man wants to be dependable. It's the basis of providing what a wife needs, which is security, which is the basis for what a ch- children need, consistency. It's been tough on Jen trying to provide both security and dependability. If you're going to pray for anyone, pray for her. I've lost everything that mattered to me except her and those kids, and they deserve the best version of me possible. On that front, along with taking supplements and vitamins, I'm also trying Weight Watchers for the first time, for the third time in my life. I've been doing it for three weeks now, and let's just say the scale is moving in the right direction. Jen and I also will be joining a gym soon, and I plan to go two or three times a week. That didn't, ha- that didn't last. Just telling you right now. Just cardio. Those muscle guys freak me out. So that limits the areas of the gym that I will enter. So many of you commented and messaged me about having gone through your own bout with depression, bipolarism, or anxiety. Several of you mentioned that you were actively going through it. I always feel the need to end with some nugget of wisdom. It's the pastor in me, I guess. Your feelings feel like reality. They change reality, but they are not reality. How about that? This one's marked life update, December, 2013. I haven't written a life update for quite a while, probably because when you're feeling better after an extended bout with crippling depression and anxiety, you would rather be doing stuff you couldn't do before rather than just talking about it. But that being said, I am doing better. So, so, so much better. Not all the way better, but closer to normal than I've been in quite a while. I'm podcasting again. It's a show called Made My Day where we celebrate the little tiny wonderful things in life. It's been well-received by my loyal listeners, and it's been featured in iTunes in every category I listed it in, as well as the podcasting front page. We're seeing about 900 downloads for each episode within the first seven days and 1,300 on the first month. It not only helps me because it's something I enjoy doing, it's also forcing me to find something every day that makes that day worthwhile. It's nice to be able to see things that are worthwhile again. I've been creating again. I designed a bed for my son and I hope to build it eventually. I never did. It looks like an AT-AT, an Imperial Walker from Star Wars. I'm also working on decorations and such for my daughter's ninth birthday, which I pulled off and it was amazing. She wanted a Minecraft themed party. They don't sell anything close to Minecraft party supplies yet. So I've been making my own. I even made a giant creeper from the game. All the food will be themed after items in the game. The games will also be themed after the game. So pretty much everything. My kids pretty much lost me for the better part of a year. I can't get that time back for them, them, but I can make up for it by giving them what I've got. And I've got lots of free time and creativity. I suppose one of the reasons I have put off an update is because I was doubtful that the goodness would last. Not because of negative thinking, but because of experience. This isn't the first time things have felt better only to be sucked back into the darkness again. It's a terrible tease, not just for myself, but Jen as well. I wanted to give this some time to be sure it would stick. And I definitely feel like it will. It always feels like it will. It always feels like it it, it always feels like it's going to last forever when it's bad. And it always feels like it's going to last forever when it's good. And it's always disappointing. Um, Anyway, let me continue. Not to say that every day has been a barrel of happy, glowy sunshininess, because it has not. 
I still have good days and not so good days. The difference now is that the bad days are in response to something bad, like losing two hard drives worth of data. That'll wreck your week. That's a normal response. Before, things would be bad because they felt bad for no reason at all, which is not normal. So even the bad days are better because I can link them to something, and that's normal. In the past, the good moments felt like a rush. Heart would race, hands would shake, mind would be going 90 to nothing, but this is different. It's been a slow climb from miserable to not completely miserable to hoping I'm getting better to knowing I'm getting better. And now the only reason my hands shake is because I'm a bit over-medicated, which is a good thing. It means I don't need it all anymore. The doctor is slowly weaning me down to avoid any catastrophes. I did have one setback recently that both Jen and I thought was possibly permanent. While trying to deliver some media content that a customer had purchased, I realized that the two terabyte drive that was one wasn't being recognized by the computer. It was an external USB drive, so I tried it out on other machines. Nothing. I opened it up, pulled out the drive, plugged it directly into my PC, and the drive was unallocated. That's a fancy word for empty. For several reasons, almost every photo we'd ever taken of the kids, every birthday, Halloween, Christmas, vacation, everything was on that disc and that disc alone. Same with every drawing, podcast, story, or other digital project that I'd worked on in the last 10 years. Man, that was stupid. I've changed my ways these days. Boy, I got backups galore. This, of course, rocked my world. I started feeling the old anxiety pain come back into my chest. I spent days trying to recover the missing data, each scan taking four to six hours, every round getting my hopes up only to be smashed back down after the scan found no recoverable data. It was pretty bad, but it was going to get worse. One of the websites I read said making a copy of the messed up drive was a good idea. That way you can experiment with a copy. And I tried that. I made a copy to my main PC drive. Next morning, I found that rather than the copy taking up unused space on the drive, as you would expect, it actually copied over everything on this second drive. Every bit of software, every project, every drawing, and a Christmas story video I was working on, all completely gone. You can only feel so bad, and then you just go numb. The point of all that is that after a few days in mourning, I've snapped right back. It sucks horribly that all that stuff is gone, and I'm trying to get it back. But I've accepted the loss, and it didn't break me down and keep me down. And that's huge. It's normal, and normal is good. Jen and I have decided that we're going to sit down after the holidays and talk about the future. Neither of us have a clue what's coming next for us. This was before we moved to St. Louis, but after I had left the ministry. We've definitely learned that the typical American church model isn't working for us. I don't see myself ever going back to being a typical children's pastor in a typical church, and I also don't like the idea of home church or not going to church. But at the same time, Jen and I aren't really enjoying going to church, and quite honestly, we wouldn't be going at all if it weren't for the kids. That's the other thing. I feel like I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life, yet I feel completely disconnected from him. It's like he's all amongst us, but I haven't been able to reciprocate. And he's cool with that. There's not been any pressure to hash things out. I think he's just happy that I'm obeying more than I have in my whole life. Obedience is better than making up, I guess. My friend David says I'm, a, I'm an exile. I don't fit in church culture, and I don't fit in world culture. I've become something else. 
and I have no idea what that is, but it look what it looks like and how it will flesh itself out. But for the first time in a long time, I'm optimistic. My wife and I are good. My kids and I are good. My dog and I, well, I kind of hate him, but everything is good. It's always was. I was just screwed up. I'm glad I'm not as screwed up as I was anymore. I'm feeling the need to write up this entire experience before it all fades from recent memory. I have some journals and such that I can tap into. I want to help people who knew me understand what happened. I didn't go crazy. I didn't have a moral failure. I didn't do anything worthy of shunning. I just couldn't stop feeling horribly sad. More than that, I want to tell the story of how it all went down. I want to brag on the folks who hung with me and helped me through it. My wife, firstly, my doctor, a very good man who was the first to believe that I could get better. My very few friends who checked in on me and let me vent my feelings through phone calls, text messages, and emails. And last but not least, my kids, who rather than being a source of pressure, accepted who I was and celebrated every milestone right along with Jen and I. Our new dog gets no credit because all he did was pee and poop on the floor. And I'm not sure there's any scientific studies that will back this, but it is my conviction that dog poop does not help depression in the slightest. One more thing. Jen says I should write more, so I'm writing. I started a short story for elementary-aged kids that was lost in what will be known as the hard drive disaster of 2013. Luckily, I did most of my outline in Google Docs, so I still have that. I also took my drives to a professional place in Tampa for data recovery. If they're successful, it would cost between $800 and $1,700 per drive. I'm not sure I can swing that, but I have some cash squirreled away from the drawing pictures for people. I may have to part with it. Part of me hopes that they can't recover jack squat. That way I can put it behind me and keep my money. Well, just so you know, it turned out that that hard drive was in a case and there was a little chip card thing that went between the drive and the rest of the computer. And I ordered one of those online and it turned out that was the part that was messed up and that it was encoding everything. And that's why the drive would show as empty. And I was able to recover every single thing off of that drive. Uh, so there was a happiness. It was definitely a happiness there. This one's entitled church is broken when it comes to the broken August 11th, 2013. It's hard finding a church when church doesn't want you. Jen and I have been visiting churches for the last few months now. The one we were at is great, but we worked there, and now we don't, and it's awkward and a little weird for everyone. So we've been looking for somewhere to take the kids and possibly be ministered to ourselves. It's hard for several reasons. One, because we haven't had to sit through a regular church service in over 10 years. Two, because we were children's pastors, we were pretty picky about what church offers it's kids and we can see issues from a mile away. Thirdly, because church just doesn't seem to be set up to accept support and love broken people. And that's what we are right now. Very broken people. What is church? Church is for people who are right with God, or at least appear to be. It's full of people who put out a lie about themselves. The lie is that they're fine, successful, faith-filled, and experiencing the daily victory that comes from a flawless relationship with Jesus. Either that or they get a pass because they're so rich they can give their way out of having to do all that work, and they're allowed to have wine in their fridge and no one will judge them. Church is more than just a place people go once or twice 
heck, maybe three times a week. It's a huge part of our identity as believers. We don't ask people if they're Christians. We ask, do you go to church? And when people answer that indeed they do, we sigh a pleased sigh because that means they're saved and we don't have to do anything. If they do not go to church, then there is something wrong with them. They are definitely not right with God and most likely living in sin. And we've stopped seeing people as followers of Christ or those in need of Christ. And we've gone to making assumptions based on where they spend 10 a.m. to noon on Sunday morning. Church works for most people, but it doesn't work for me. Hear me. I haven't given up on church. I'm just finding that my issues are not acceptable to the church. And in a real sense, the church has given up on me. Church is a social club. Church has become a social club that doesn't that, that does charity work. It's more about joining a community than it is about being disciples. It's more about having it together than it is about getting it together. It works great for those who can maintain the lie about themselves and continue to believe the lies others put out. But when situations arise that are beyond your control and you can't maintain the social Christian image, when your issues won't fit within the acceptable boundaries, measures must be taken. The affected parties must be shunned. Church is not a hospital. It should be. Church should be exactly like a hospital. Hurting people should be drawn there naturally. They should be assessed and interviewed. People should get to know them. It shouldn't even be a second thought whether or not they're accepted or acceptable. They're sick and this is a hospital. People are accepted and allowed to heal. They aren't suggested spiritual quick fixes or trite sayings about how a life of the spirit doesn't allow for their issue. They're simply loved and accepted. But we can't accept sinful, broken people. If we love them, we're accepting what they do. It's our job, after all, to help God judge other people, isn't it? We're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin. Even the Bible says love the sinner and not to judge others. But we must. The difference between us and sinners is what makes us special. We are better than the world. Our lives are better. This proves Jesus is real. That's why you can't be a screwed up fellow Christian. Because it exposes the huge gaping hole in my American theology. Life with Jesus can't suck. We're no better than the world. We're not better. Our divorce rates are the same. Same levels of depression, teen pregnancy, etc., etc. Maybe, just maybe, we're still humans with human issues, even when we're followers of Christ. Maybe troubles, issues, and struggles aren't indicative of a flawed Christian life and are actually just stuff that happens to people no matter what. Maybe we're not better than other people. Maybe we're down in the mud with them, holding on to one thing we've found that's worthwhile. Maybe you can't actually judge someone's spirituality by the ease of their lifestyle. When Jesus was walking the earth, he ate with bad people. This made him bad to all the right people. So it used to be that if you were messed up, Jesus would come to you. And if you were rich and put together financially and spiritually, you had to slink your way in to see him. It's not really that way anymore, is it? If you got it together, you're the top tier. If you don't, you have to come crawling in shame to the throne. The early church warned against giving special reserve treatment for those with money. Today, the warning goes out to those who would give special treatment to people with more value. If a person could add to the community, then they are accepted. When a person has nothing of value to offer and God forbid needs to subtract from it, they are classified as second-class citizens. And if a person a value were to lose the ability to provide, he finds his acceptance is the consequence. We can accept people and support them without agreeing with them. 
we will still attract people to Jesus's love, even if we don't point out their flaws. Jesus is still the answer, even when some of us don't walk in victory. Approval of a person will not associate you with their sin. Separating yourself from the weak and lowly and sinful does not draw people to Jesus. The world hates us. It's not because of our love and devotion to Christ. It's, because, it's not because of our good works. It's because of our self-righteous judgmental lives. Christianity has become about what we stand against rather than who we stand for. We attempt to grow spiritually by putting others down so we look better by comparison. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. There must be one. I believe that there are churches out there who are not as I have described. They don't expect or demand perfection. They don't hold themselves up as the standard of righteousness that others should measure up to. There has to be a congregation full of imperfect people who are tired of the lies we put out, the images we hold up, the standards we set. They look at people like Christ does instead of how we do. They realize that they will be judged the very same way they have judged others and are afraid to judge at all. They let go of the religion of being right and admit that they don't have it all worked out. They hate the effect that sin has on others more than they hate sin itself. And they don't despise the sinner or the broken. Rather, they pity him. This church exists. Some are like this to a point. Only proving to the masses that God's love does fail eventually. Reaccepted. Sinners and the broken are in the same boat. I'm one of the broken. When I'm recovered and no longer broken, I will be acceptable again. But I will not be able to accept it. Like a fairy tale prince who turns from a beast into a man, I will then be marrying material. But Belle first loved the beast. Her eyes were not blind to the truth. They saw it full on and accepted it. Through God's eyes, I have the same value now as I did at my best. Eyes that knew this time in my life would come and called me to ministry in spite of it. Eyes that never looked away, never pretended not to notice, saw me for what I was and loved that. So, Jen and I are a little lost right now. We've lost a lot in the past few months. People show what they're made of when hard decisions arise. Really shows who your friends are and aren't. It makes you lose faith, not in God, but in his people. I guess that's what they mean when they say, in Christ alone. Update. I'm not looking for advice or church suggestions. This is a statement about the church and the way we do church in America as a whole. Update two. This is not a commentary on the church as the bride of Christ. It is about church culture, which I thought was obvious. This one was written as a response. Somebody got really mad about the last one, and they posted this big thing about uh, the bride of Christ as the church and how it it needs to be defended against people like me who critique it. <clears throat> and this one's titled, I'm anxious, not angry, sad, not sanctimonious, August 13th, 2013. Somebody basically got really upset and just beat the crap out of me through a response. So this is my response to that. I really upset some people with my post yesterday. Some folks assumed I was referencing the church, the bride of Christ, when I was critiquing American church culture. Others took it personally, which I don't understand. 
I'm writing from a pay, place of pain and loss, not from judgment and condemnation. You got to be in some place of authority to do that. And I'm far from it. I find it a little ridiculous that some people would respond in anger to a plea for acceptance and understanding. Things will be written in this update that people won't want to read. That's because there's a side to depression that's uglier than depression itself. It's the way society deals with it, the way the church deals with it, the way we deal with it, the way I'm dealing. And I'm going to talk about how all of that has affected myself and my family, how I viewed depression. Before I had it myself, I was a huge critic of depressed people. I had no mercy for those who committed suicide. Depression was a choice that people made to keep from working or having to be a contributing member of society. Suicide was what self-centered people did who didn't care about their loved ones. I'm sure there are those who abuse their depression, and I've known people who have killed themselves for self-centered reasons. But I now understand that suicidal thoughts come because you love your family so much that you truly believe that they'd be better off without you. And depression is beyond a person's control. And if they could control it, they gladly would. People don't understand, so they don't support. Though depression is something you have to experience to understand, you can support the depressed person without understanding. That's not what people do. There's an unwritten rule that says you are promoting what they do if you accept who they are. We feel we fear a guilty by association stigma. While Jesus surrounded himself with people whose lifestyles he couldn't support, he accepted, loved, supported the person in that lifestyle. We do the opposite. We claim to love the sinner but hate the sin, but mostly we just hate the sin. And nowhere in the Bible does it say to hate another sin. It tells us to love sinners. Bless those that hurt us, turn a fresh cheek when we're abused, and carry our brother's burdens as if they were our own. We're too busy being Christians to do that. For so many, Christianity is a church attendance, Bible reading, book studies, not watching this and not listening to that, associating with other Christians and steering clear of those that don't live like we do. It's keeping up the appearance of spirituality so that we can continue to be accepted by others playing the same game. The only problem comes when someone can't keep playing. Their weaknesses show, like spiritual nudity, and people get anxious. God's people aren't supposed to struggle. It's either God judging hidden sin or the devil working because of an open door. So we distance ourselves from the struggling person so we don't catch whatever is going on ourselves. We do this to the sinful, the misguided, and the depressed. The sinful because they deserve it, the misguided because they're a drain, and the depressed because they're so darn depressing. Weakness in a Christian life, whether it be sin or sickness, is a threat to our faith. If God is real and loves us, why is this person dying of cancer? If a life devoted to Jesus is supposed to bring us joy, why is this person depressed? It doesn't fit in our worldview, so it's easiest just to sweep the person out of the way and get back to being saved. People just don't know what to do with depression. If it were something tangible, like a broken leg or an obvious sin, we can handle that. It's something we can easily wrap our minds around. It's something that has a cause, a duration, and a conclusion. We can sign a cast or pray a prayer of forgiveness, and it's all wrapped up and tidy. Depression has a cause, but it's not anything we can put a finger on. The duration is unknown, so there's no ending in sight. It's messy, ugly, sad, and hard to relate with. There's no cast to sign, and prayers don't make it go away. Christians link the mental and the spiritual. 
So a problem with the mind, though every bit as physical as a blood disease, is assumed to be a problem of the spirit. And if the depressed person is a pastor, it just gets that much more complicated. Pastors are supposed to be perfect. They live at a higher spiritual plane at all times. If they fall, fail, or flounder, what hope is there for me, the normal Christian? What am I trying to say? We feel rejected, tossed out, thrown away, wasted, lost. We've lost our church, our friends, my job, our direction, our purpose, and a good bit of my personality, which now affects how I relate to my wife and kids. We're literally in mourning over all the loss. We're waiting for this thing to pass, hoping that there's something better at the end and that there is an end. Because at the same time, there is a practical fear, like the fear of being burned in a flame. What if this is all there is? What if I'm this way for the rest of my life? What if my family has to deal with me this way for the rest of their lives? It's an ugly possible future, possibility we face every single day. God hasn't forsaken us. Right now, it feels like God is waiting for this to pass over. And when and if it does, then I'll get back to some sort of normal groove, back to having a life. This assumes, of course, that there will be change, that this will pass, that it's not permanent. And, and my life from now on, I don't yet know how my relationship with God will be if this never passes. How close can you be to someone who allows you to suffer? How do you draw near to someone who is allowed, has allowed everything you did for him to be taken away? Does he even want closeness from me? Isn't it some kind of statement from God about me if he allows depression to stay forever? Do I become a spiritual second-class citizen? Where is my value if I can't do what I was called to do and shudder at the thought of ever having to do it again? Resist the urge to answer those questions. They're not yours to answer. They're not questions from a place of doubt and a lack of faith. They are the hard questions of my heart to my creator. This is the ugly part I wrote of earlier. The part that makes people turn away. It's not easy faith. It's rocky and dicey and stretched so very thin. I believe God can answer these questions, but for now, we're in a holding pattern. A miserable, self-sustaining whirlpool of heartache and hope. It's just hard because I've always been the kind to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but for now, I can't see it. Is it because there isn't a light or there isn't an end? It's hard to maintain a positive outlook when everything in your life reminds you that you have failed. Today, for instance, my daughter asked me to do chapel for her school, and I told her I wasn't able. She hugged me and said, I miss Pastor James. It's heartbreaking. I miss him too, was all I could say. I still have you, though, she whispered. I look forward to the day that I'm no longer a disappointment. The day when this phase is just a nasty memory. Right now, I can't imagine how anything good could ever come of it. It's been damaging, horrible, dark, and ugly. And I really don't care if anything good comes of it. I just want it over and in the past. I think that's where I'm going to end it today. I hope you've gotten something out of the insight from these articles. I know I did. It's good to go back and reread some of this stuff and see where my head was at. And now that I'm in the future and we ended up moving to St. Louis and we've been here for four years and we're with a group of people that are accepting a congregation that is broken and, and does accept sinners. Um, 
it's good. It's good for me to go back and hear that I didn't used to have that because you do, you take it for granted, you know, what is a miracle when it lasts, when it stays so easy to just accept it as normal. And uh, a miracle has come to my family and I'm still struggling. It sucks to look at the uh, dates on these 2013. And um, though I know we're doing better in the big picture to still be struggling in 2018 is not fun. It's not cool. But uh, it's where we're at. And I want to thank you for listening. And um, I, I hope. Well, you know what? We're 40 minutes in. Let's read one more. This is the big one. This was April 9th, 2013. This was the moment that um, marked me just ending my embarrassment and and just being ashamed of my depression. So here it is. It's called How My Life Has Been Rocked by Depression. It was written to the people that knew me at the time, but maybe didn't know what was going on. Because when I left the church, I didn't, I, I left for health reasons, which was mighty sketchy sounding. Because <laughs> there was obviously nothing wrong with me on the outside. So, how my life has been rocked by depression. Depression, that's why. Whatever question you may have had about my lack of social media interaction, lack of podcasting, lack of artistic expression, and more recently, lack of job, can be answered by that sentence. Depression is a broad term that people like me say so they don't have to talk about anxiety, mood swings, physical pain, hopelessness, and more. Especially when talking to people who don't know much about it, which is most people. Not that I'm actually talking to that many people. I've struggled with depression in general for a few years now. It started as a general feeling of doom. I went through every day just feeling like everything I did was bound to fail. A friend suggested I see my doctor for this, which blew my mind that you could or would see a doctor about such a thing. So I did, and I was given a series of meds, and some worked for a while. Some didn't work at all. Others thought brought out anger. Others made me want to sit on the floor all the time. Eventually, through months of trial and error, we found a drug that managed my serotonin levels and things were just dandy. They stayed that way for about three years. Those were good times. In those three years, I had left my children's ministry position at a large church in Kansas City for a church in St. Pete, Florida. Uh, And that's where I wanted to raise my kids, closer to family, closer to the beach. I was convinced that the high stress of my former job was the cause of my depression since I worked at a megachurch. I didn't even think to mention it to my employer and my pastor that I was depressed. It was something in my past that we had gotten through and gotten over. The new job surely would make taking any pills unnecessary. Which was good because what I was taking was beginning to be more and more ineffective. The dread was gone, but now it was replaced with a general sadness and lack of motivation. I started to blame the meds. I also had a friend who gave me the impression that meds were wrong and my goal should be to get off of them. So I went cold turkey, bad plan. 
I didn't realize there would be withdrawal symptoms. For three solid months, I had a strong ringing tone in my head, combined with something I've come to call brain zaps that felt like waves of static or electricity coursing through my brain. In place of the prescription meds, I read up on natural cures for depression. I tried every supplemental combination known to man with no effect on my mood. I started to get panic attacks at night. I didn't even know what it was for a long time. I just suddenly felt worse than anything. Along with chest pain and drastic sadness and despair, I blamed caffeine, so I gave it up. I still still don't drink caffeine. Seemed to help for a while. Meanwhile, I was holding down a job, doing podcasting as a hobby, artwork for spare cash, and being a husband and a father. I enjoyed creating things, watching movies, Doctor Who, collecting Buzz Lightyear stuff, blogging and social networks, and ministering to children. As my general feeling of sadness grew, the joy or motivation to do these things started slipping away. Even talking to people in the course of a day started to be something I would try to avoid. I should mention that the depression would come and go during this period of about two years. I would get a rush off doing some big project or traveling to some big event only to crash hard afterward. The more successful an event was, the harder and longer I crashed. I would wake up and not be able to get out of bed. Even trying to take a shower seemed like the worst series of events I could imagine. I was so ashamed that I wouldn't even call into work after a while. My wife and I felt like we needed to come forward about my situation to my boss, pastor, rather than wait for him to have to call us to the carpet. He was very understanding and gracious, and even though I knew he didn't understand what was going on with me, he was still in full support and would have done anything for us. Then the bottom fell out of my entire life. Deep, dark, horrible sadness stole me away from everything good in my life. Almost constant anxiety pains in my chest. All I could do for most of my day was lay in bed and hold my breath and ball up around the pain. I cried almost constantly. A part of me knew nothing at all in the world was wrong. But no amount of logic could save me from these feelings. The word feelings is so inappropriate when describing what I went through. Feelings are what we're not supposed to make decisions on. Feelings are something that can be controlled or changed easily. The feelings of depressed person are more like the fear that gets in you in the night sometimes when you know something's outside the window and you can't move. You know it's stupid, but your feelings have control over you. When trying to describe my feelings during this time, the only comparison I could make for you would be to imagine someone telling you that your spouse has died and that initial bolt of pain and loss and grief and sadness that you would feel. And then the jolt doesn't end. How would you do anything, work or play, when you feel that way? You couldn't. At least I couldn't. My doctor suggested a professional, a psychiatrist. He was hesitant to mention it, but I was desperate to... Uh, I was too desperate to care about my pride. The new doctor tells me I'm bipolar and I have depression and anxiety disorder and starts prescribing me medicines that would hopefully manage these three issues. It's been the better part of 10 months since that first meeting. And we're only just now finding a medicine combination that seems to halfway work. Meds are a mixed bag. You want them so that you can be normal, but everyone seems to bring its own set of weird side effects and changes to my moods and feelings. The worst part was finding something that worked only to generate an allergy to it. In some cases, a life-threatening allergy. It's like a dirty trick. I'd feel so much better, like a miracle had happened, only to be shoved back into despair and pain all over again later on. 
The last time something worked was a few months ago around Christmas. The doc warned me that I might get overstimulated, and from the first day, I knew it was having that effect, but it felt so good. I wasn't high or anything. I just felt like the best version of my old self. And suddenly everything that was such a chore just suddenly wasn't. My passions for art and creativity, podcasting and ministry came back. I even signed up for the church's Christmas play. My body started freaking out though. My skin felt like every pore needed to be rubbed or poked. Only a shower would satisfy the millions of little cravings for stimulation that my skin had become. My arms started losing strength. It felt like I'd been hanging sheetrock all day. I didn't want to, but I had to tell my doctor. He took me off it, and I went right back to being curled up in the bed, holding my breath and crying. Two days before the Christmas play, I finally got the nerve up to tell my pastor coworker that I wouldn't be able to do it. Something that I'd been looking forward to had suddenly become one of the worst ideas in my life. She was so gracious, even though I know it must have caused her to struggle. I couldn't think of a good reason why I couldn't perform as I wrote the email. So I just told her the truth. It's really the first person I told. Well, a lightweight, a lightweight version of it. See, I was horrified of my own condition and it was and is embarrassing. I had put every ounce of effort I could into minimizing my exposure to putting on a happy pastor face for everyone. Even my own personality works against me at this point. Normally, I was the fun-loving guy that was quick with a joke, eternally optimistic and eager to take on the world. Now, I was the very opposite of that. I had to keep up the illusion or people would know. So, when I told my coworker what was going on, although I just told her I was dealing with some depression, it was a huge deal. So, suddenly, all at once, everything I was just died again. Thanks, meds. Even now, I'm in a place where some new meds seem to be working, and I've learned not to trust good feelings. They just make it worse later when the failure comes. I was taking more and more time away from the office. On the days I did go in, all I could do was sit in my office, door closed, and cry, praying to God that no one came to the door and saw. I was useless. My duties started to pile up as I was not doing them. Phone calls that weren't made. Forms that were not filled out, questions that went unanswered, and input that I so often gave went unoffered. Things weren't getting better. Eventually, someone was going to call me out, so I called myself out. I went back to my boss and laid it all out. I tried to the best of my ability to explain how things were, and that he deserved someone in this position that could do the job. I offered my resignation, and he wouldn't hear of it, and he offered several options to my current work week that might help me get through this period. For different reasons, those options did not work out, and I insisted on resigning. He reluctantly accepted. Well, the deal was the board uh, had to approve these deals, and they shut it down hard. <laughs> they, they, they didn't buy that I was uh, depressed. They thought I was depressed that I wasn't working at a megachurch anymore. Two weeks later, it was time to tell the church I was leaving that very Sunday. We told them I was leaving due to medical reasons. So that was a month ago now, and it's been nice to have a stress-free environment where I'm not letting people down constantly. Natural other stresses, naturally, other stresses come. I now feel like an unemployed loser who is failing his wife and kids. Still feel that way. I once was a somewhat respected children's pastor. Now, I'm, now it's a good day if I could say I've showered and stayed awake more than eight hours. The meds I'm on now seem to be working somewhat, but I'm getting a little muscle spasms here and there. I'm worried are going to cause me to have to ditch this stuff as well. 
So where is God in all of this? He's been pretty quiet as of late. I prayed and begged and nothing changes. Apparently, this is just something I'm going to have to go through. Like what happened to Job. He wasn't going to feel better after what happened to him. He just had to stay faithful. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm generally optimistic that this period of my life will end, either by the meds or by time passing. I look forward with a little fear to what my life will look like after. I'm not high on becoming a children's pastor anytime soon, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do whatever God leads me to do. Does any of this have a purpose? I don't know. But is it going to really ruin the rest of my life? Absolutely not. So I'm done hiding this thing. I'm a freaking mess, and I'm just going to have to deal with how people respond to that. That's why I try to keep it secret, by the way, people's reactions and judgments. There's this thing about mental health issues that make people forget common sense. First off, most people think taking medicine for depression is a bad idea or outright wrong. That's stupid. Any other disease in the world you can take meds for without risk of judgment, but pop a pill for depression and you're accepting defeat or something. Then there are those in the church who think that depression is a judgment or a demon. So it's either God punishing you for secret sin or the devil's taking over my soul. That's fun. Lastly, there are those, and I was once one of them, who think that depression is just an excuse for some people to do nothing with their lives. And I'm sure someone would look at me right now and mistake that for the truth, but nothing is further from it. I long for the day when I can enjoy things again, when I can be in public without trying to avoid everyone, when I can work to help provide for my family. Most of my anxiety came from worrying about letting people down and losing my job. Hopefully this reaches the right people. I'm sure some of you out there can relate on some level. I'm sure some of you have had it much worse than I and have had a long story, longer story to tell. And I'm sure that some of you will just roll your eyes and move on to something less, well, depressing. I just felt like I owed my internet peeps an explanation, and I'm finally able to type it all out. Articles like this are supposed to end with advice for others going through the same thing. I don't have anything except to say, just stay alive and don't give up. And that, my friends, is the end of the podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, ideas, things you want to hear me talk about, you can send those things to James at NLCast.com. This has been the Gospel of Kennison, and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash GOK. Peace. 